Good morning, Christ Chapel. Great to see you, great to worship with all of you, whether you're at the West Campus, South Campus, Hive Converge, uh, Fort Worth Campus, streaming with us online. Everyone, would you please open your Bibles. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, we're gonna be in verses 14 to 30. If you're opening one of the blue Bibles at any of our venues, that's gonna be page 830 is where we're going to start today as we continue our series, Living with the End in Mind, as we study Jesus's words to his disciples from the Olivet Discourse. Remember, the Olivet Discourse is a fancy way of saying a speech that he gave from the Mount of Olives. And this is Matthew chapter 24 and 25, where Jesus is telling them about the things to come, the end times in a sense. But before we jump into the end times, I want to take you back to the beginning, back to part of the beginning of this series, but also the beginning of the Bible. And I know, don't get scared, this is a 35-minute sermon, okay? But uh, remember, at the beginning of this series, I had those yes-no questions, and I said, you know, will every part of Matthew 24 and 25 apply to you? And I said, yes and no. Yes, we're going to give you Monday morning application, which is what we're going to do today, but no, because some of these parts pertain to Israel, specifically the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, because there are promises that he made to them that have yet to be fulfilled. Remember, that's what prophecy is. It's a a promise made by God that's yet to be fulfilled. And so I told you, there are promises that even go all the way back to Abraham, back in Genesis. And I want to read to you one of those promises because it's going to come into play into what you're going to study today. Day. Because if you go all the way back, you don't have to turn your Bibles there. This will come up on the screen. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, before God had even changed Abram's name to Abraham, uh, he says this, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. So God is asking Abram, he will later change his name to Abraham, it's the the Abraham you know, and he asked Abram to leave his father's land, leave everything that he knows, leave all the people that he knows, to leave them by faith and to follow God by faith to this unknown place, and then God would do these great things in his life. He would make him a great nation. Uh, He would make him a great nation. Uh, That's the seed, land, seed, and blessing are the the three things there. And I don't want to go into all the specifics of the Abrahamic covenant, but here's what I want to do is I want to go back and look at that last little phrase, because he talks about all these things that he's going to do when Abram follows him by faith, and there's a so that. Do you remember what that so that was? I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. That's the whole, that's the whole reason. There, there's the so that. He wasn't blessing Abram just because Abram had followed him or Abraham had followed him. He wasn't just blessing Abraham so that Abraham could be this great repository of God's blessing. 
He was blessing him with a purpose so that he would be a blessing. That's the the whole thing. Blessing to whom? Well, I think he'd be a blessing. What he was talking about is a blessing to those people that are around him. And I also think that would be a blessing as unto the Lord when he did so. You say, why would he do that? One of the reasons is because, and I think scripture teaches us this, is that God reveals himself by the way that he treats his people. That's how he reveals his nature and character and his relationship is through how he treats Israel and how he treats you, how he treats the church, how he has a relationship with us that reveals his character, his steadfastness, his faithfulness, his abounding love, his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, all of those things, are, they, they bear fruit in our lives. But I also think the, the reason why is to whom is that he reveals himself through us is because we are supposed to reflect his nature. So if he's revealing that through us, then we reflect his character and nature to those around us. We are blessed so that we will be a blessing to reveal him to other people. And the same that was true for Abram is true for us today. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing. Not just so that we're repositories of God's blessing, not just so that we can store up those blessings for ourselves and bathe in our own blessings. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing. And that's what he's gonna talk about today in Matthew chapter 25 as we continue uh, this series. If you'll remember, he's telling him about the end times and he talks about three parables that he says the end times are going to be like. And I gave you a definition of a parable last week. Parable is an everyday story that has heavenly truth that applies to our everyday lives. Remember, think triangle. That's what I want you to think when we think of parables here. And this is the third of three parables that he uses that we're going to study today. And this one can be somewhat familiar to some of you because this is called the parable of the talents. Now, I want to define for you what talent means because it doesn't it doesn't, it's not AGT, okay? It's not America's Got Talent, okay? The way that he's talking about talents here, talent is simply a uh, way to measure precious metals. It's a measurement term. So think a uh, ton. When, when we say ton, we mean 2,000 pounds, right? Okay? Are you, right? Okay. Okay. All right. Ton equals 2,000 pounds. I'm like, if I lost you here, we don't have any hope. Okay. All right. Ton equals, that's a, that's a measurement. That's a way to measure something. That's what talent means. It's a way to measure specifically precious metals, gold, silver, copper, bronze back in that day. Now we don't know exactly how much a talent was, but it was probably between 58 and 80 pounds. That's, a, that, that's the equivalent of a talent. Now, it, depending, obviously, on the precious metal that you're weighing, that is 58 to 80 pounds, if you're measuring gold or silver or something like that, it could be up to one talent, could be equal to 20 years of a person's wage. 20 years of wealth, that could be one talent 
talent that he's talking about. So I want, I want that to be in your brain because we're going to read this whole parable so that you can have the context of this blessed to be a blessing. And I want you to understand the amount, the enormity of the, the blessing that is given in this parable. So follow along with me. We're going to read verses 14 to 30. For it will be like, what is it? It's the second coming. Remember, this is, this is the context here, the second coming. For the second coming will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, uh, to another one, to each according to his ability or his own ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more, total of 10. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, total of four. But, verse 18, he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents? Well, here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Well, here, I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I had not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And may God bless the reading of his word and may our hearts be open to hear from him. We're gonna stop there for today. So remember, the context of this is the second coming of Christ. And the whole point of this is he wanted his servants to be about his business. That's, that's the whole point, that they would be about his business, even while he was away, not just while he was there. That's the, that's the whole point that he's talking about here, is when Jesus is away, he wants Israel to be about his business, but those things apply to us today, just as a church. Remember, we are eavesdropping in on Jesus's conversation with Israel and applying it to our everyday lives. And so what I want to do today is I want to explain this parable. 
Um, And I think it's rather self-explanatory, but I want to point out a couple things. I want to give you some applications, but then I want to use this as a springboard to tell you about an end times event that is not recorded in Matthew 24 and 25 because it applies to you as the church. And so I'll explain that end time event and then give you one final application. So let's look back at verses 14 to 18, where I want you to see that God has entrusted you with his blessings to be about his business. God has entrusted you with his blessings to be about his business. If you look back at verse 14, it says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So in this parable, very, very simple, the owner of the house is going to go on a journey. He entrusts these certain amounts to different servants based on their ability. Now, the first place that your mind probably goes, this is what I think, is, Cody, how many talents do I have? You, you all want to know if you're a five-talent person, a two-talent person, or a one-talent person. I don't know. You're all talented. You all get a trophy, Okay. <laughs> All right? You're all very talented. The point of this is not how many talents you have. The point is what you do with the talents you have. And remember, this is about, the, the, the context here is about money. And you think about, go back to what I told you about this measurement. He entrusted a lot of money to these servants. To one five talents Five talents of gold or silver, some sort of bronze, precious metals. I mean, that's a hundred years potentially worth of a person's wealth. That's a lot of money that he gives over to these servants because he trusts them to do with what his business was about. That's this whole entrusted idea he gives to and one to another. And I want to focus on that word entrusted because it's a key word, I think, in this whole uh, parable. Uh, to entrust something, you know, means to hand over with authority and responsibility of care. Meaning you can do with it, you have authority to do with it what you think should be done. But you also have the responsibility to do with it what needs to be done. So with the responsibility is also authority. That's the entrustment. I trust you to do with this what should be done. Now, let me ask you a question. Those, the, the person that had five talents and the person that had two talents, how would they know what to do? How would they know what to do with that money? It doesn't say that they were given instructions, particularly, but they would have watched the master. They have been around the master. They know his expectations. And we learn even later that even the one who was given one talent knows the expectations. He said, I know that you expected that you would reap where you didn't sow. I expected, I expected this is who you are. So these that invested, that were about the father's business, they'd been watching the father. Or the, or sorry, the master. They've been watching him. They know what he expects. They know what he wants. They know that he wants his business to expand in a sense. But this one goes and buries it. Now, I have to say, just in ancient context here, burying treasure or precious money was was not odd. 
It, it was actually a common practice. It was a way to secure those investments. Now, obviously, you didn't get any return on that investment if you bury it. And so you say, well, why is this such a bad thing that he's burying it? Here's why I think it's a bad thing. Cody's thought, my interpretation. I think the reason why he's later condemned for burying it is because he did not believe the master would return. Think about this. If, because what is he specifically condemned for here is not only that he didn't invest it in the marketplace, he said, you should have just taken it to the bank. Just invest it in the bank and then I would have returned, it, I would have gotten my own money and had interest. But if the servant had put it in the bank in the master's name, could the servant have gotten it out if the master never returned? It would have been in the master's name. I think the reason why he buried it is because he did not have faith that the master would return. And so if he just buried it and the master doesn't come back, then he goes, yeehaw, I've got money for me. This is just all for my own. So I think what he's condemned for is a lack of faith. I think he's condemned for a lack of faith, which will be key to understanding the rest of this parable. You see, it doesn't matter what these different amounts are. The whole point is, are you using what you have to extend the Father's business? And I think the way that we can apply it, the first application that I, I want uh, for us today is, in order to live with the end in mind, begin by auditing all the ways God has blessed you. Begin by auditing all the ways that God has blessed you. And I know audit, that, that word makes people break out in cold sweats. Um, and, and yes, it, I'm, I'm using this word. I think it's an appropriate word as we talk about this. I'm using this word in the way that the, def, the definition is of audit. To, to examine, to, to take inventory of, to make sure that everything is in its proper place, pointed in the right trajectory. It, 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 this is going towards the right things. That's, that's what you normally look for in an audit. Our church goes through an audit every year. Uh, and so are, are those funds going to the places that they're supposed to be going? Are they properly used to extend the kingdom? And I think we, we all need to do an audit on our own lives to understand the blessings that God has given us. One, because I think that will increase our gratitude, which it should. But I don't think you can use for the Lord everything that you have unless you understand everything you have from the Lord. You need to understand what you have from him. And this is where I'm going to go back over to the definition that we more commonly think of as talent. Because everything you have is from God. Everything is a talent in a sense, whether that's your skill, whether that's a, your ability, whether that's your personality, whether that's your uh, location, whether that's, it, does, it doesn't matter what it is, your health, your breath, your life, all of those things are from the Lord. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father above. All of those things are from him. Therefore, all of those things should be used for him. But you can't use everything for him unless you understand everything that's from him. And so that's why I say let's begin with an audit to just, just sit down. Take five, ten minutes this week and just go, Lord, here are the ways I, I was blessed. You know, old, old, you know, let me count the ways. 
Count the ways. Count the ways. Because what you fill in those blanks are things from him that he expects will be used for him. And the, the reason why it's important to audit all of those things is because God will, will reward you for using his blessings for his business. God will reward you for using his blessings for his business. If you look at verse 19, it says, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Again, another reason why I think that audit word is appropriate is because the master comes back to settle accounts. It's to settle up. I want to see what you have done with what I entrusted to you, that I gave you care over, responsibility and authority. Let's see what happens. So the faithful servants step up, and they have doubled his investment, which, by the way, just a quick aside, remember, all of the things that they are giving, given, they're all the Lord's. Even what they make, in a sense, still his, still the master's, never belongs to the servants. And I know that's a quick aside, but just remember, we came into this world with nothing, we will go out of this world with nothing. It's, it's all his. E- even, even if things multiply, it's all his. Everything is the master's. So they say, here's what happened. We had five. You gave us five, and I got five more. You gave me two, and I got two more. And he says in verses 21 and 23, he gives the exact same reply to those two servants. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So because of their faithfulness, because of their stewardship of his resources to extend his business and they give it all back to him, every penny, every cent goes all the way back to the master. He gives them three things. He gives them additional means. He gives them extra responsibility and he gives them shared joy. Those are the three rewards that he gives there. And I think certainly some of those aspects uh, apply to people that faithfully steward what God has given them. But I just, I want to give one quick thing because that's an interesting phrase there where he says, enter into my joy. And I think this ties specifically into the end times. Remember, he's talking about the second coming. If you look down at your timeline, the next thing after the second coming is the millennial kingdom, where there is a, where Revelation tells us there's the marriage supper, okay? There's this, there's this feast of celebration in the millennial kingdom. Now, if you look back at that phrase, enter into my joy, um, Jesus, we know that Jesus spoke in Aramaic. The Aramaic word for joy is actually closely related to the word feast, And it makes a lot more sense if you read that as enter into my feast, enter into my millennial kingdom, enter into my celebration, more than this enter into my abstract joy. You go, how how do I do that? You, You enter into this celebration of the faithful stewards, of those that had lived in faith that the master would return. And now we're gonna feast together. Now we're going to have relationship and we're going to enjoy one another. That makes a lot more sense to me. 
Cody's interpretation. Okay, so that's the faithful servants. The foolish servant comes forward and says, hey, I knew that you had a great expectations and I just decided to forget them. I just decided to, to forego anything and bury that treasure. And it says that he lost what he had and he was cast into judgment. Again, I don't think he's cast into judgment because of his works. I think he's cast into judgment because of his lack of faith his lack of faith that the master would not return. And how does this relate to Israel? This, this is why I brought up Genesis chapter 12, because they were blessed in order to live by faith and be a blessing to others. And those that just decided, hey, we're Israel, we're God's chosen people, he should love us. Rather than having a relationship by faith, those would not make it into the, the millennial kingdom. They will not make it because they do not have a relationship with the Lord. Go back to the parable that we just did last week of the, the 10 bridesmaids where he says, I never knew you. I didn't have a relationship with you. Now, see, because he knew, this servant knew what he expected, knew what the master expected, but decided to not use those blessings in order to be a blessing to those around them and live by faith. See, the application for us is in order to live with the end in mind, we need to use all of God's blessings to further his business. Use all of God's blessings to further his business. And I wanna go back to that word entrust because I talked about authority and responsibility. I wanna add another word to it and that's creativity. Because you get to be creative about all of those ways that God has blessed you in order to to further his business, to further his kingdom. There's, there's no prescriptive way that we are supposed to be a blessing other than you know, be holy, honor the Lord, be humble. I mean, yes, certainly some principles that we use, but it's be creative. He didn't tell them exactly how they're supposed to do it, but he said, just be a blessing, go extend my business. And I, I, I love that idea. Because so many of you have so many unique gifts and, and skill sets and, and makeup, and, and, and it's, it's wonderful to see how the Lord can use you. And I get to pour into that and pray for that and watch that. And I want you to be creative in how you use what God has blessed you with to be a blessing to others, to reflect his character in our own backyard. But you get to do that as you discern it with him. But if you're not consulting him, if you're not living open-handedly with him, saying, God, everything I have is yours and you can use it however you want. Let's be creative. Let's do this. Let's go have fun. If you don't have that attitude with his blessings, then you are burying his talents. They're used only for you. Only you know about them. Only you know where you've buried them. Only you know in the Lord, but only you and the Lord knows what lies beneath. That's it. And God does not bless that. And that's why I said, I had a, the word share on here, but I think, I think share is more passive. I, I want, I, that's why I went with more use, be more active. Like, what can God do? I don't know, but I'm excited to see what God can do in and through each one of us at Christ Chapel. What, is, what does that mean? 
You have skills, abilities, relationships, resources, ideas, all of these wonderful things. Use those for his business because he will reward you when you extend his business. And we know there's a specific time when that happens that comes in the end times. And this is where I want to introduce an end time event that the New Testament talks about that Jesus does not bring up here in Matthew 24 and 25 because it doesn't apply to Israel. This specific end time event applies to the church. And so I want you to look back at the, at the uh, picture that we had given you of the timeline. Remember, you are here. Always like to point that out. You are in the church age. Next event is the rapture that is imminent can happen at any time, but it is inevitable. It will happen one day. Seven-year tribulation, second coming of Christ, millennial kingdom, that's that marriage supper, enter into my joy. That's Cody's interpretation. That's what I think after his second coming when he holds these servants accountable, which we've talked about about the second coming. And then we'll cover great white throne judgment next week. But there is an event that is not on that chart. Remember, that chart is comprehensive. It doesn't only cover what's in Matthew 24. We're giving you scripturally an, an end-time event timeline. And that one event is called the Bema Seat. There's a Bema Seat that seems to happen in between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. And I want to spend the rest of our time explaining what the Bema Seat is. Uh, Bema is a word that we get from 2 Corinthians chapter uh, Five, verse 9 uh, and 10, which we'll read in just a minute. But all the bema is, is a raised platform. It's just a raised platform. Uh, this is actually one that's in Corinth, where it's the two times that the bema seat, uh, a couple of times that the bema seat is talked about, is talked about both in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Here's the Corinthian bema seat. It's a raised platform that would have been prominent in the public square, and it was used to give rulings or judgments, but it was also specifically used to give rewards at uh, Greco-Roman games. So as athletes would compete, they would compete in their games, then they would be called up by the, the official, uh, usually that was the, the governing official of that city, and they would give them their rewards at the Bema Seat, this raised platform where everybody could see how they did and how they were rewarded first place, second place, third place. That's what the Bema is. That's why it's a weird word like that um, because it's just this raised platform. That's the picture. And what Scripture teaches us is that every Christian will go to the Bema seat in front of Christ. And so I want to tell you what will happen at that Bema seat. And I want to read to you specifically two different passages that tell us that so that you get a context. And then I'll go through on your sermon notes. I know I've listed one through five. I'll go back through those, but I want you to have the scriptures before we go through the points because the points just break down the scriptures. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Paul says this. So whether we are at home or away... We make it our aim to please him, please God. For we all, we, we must all appear before the judgment seat. That's the word bima in the Greek. We must all appear before the bima seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
And then the other passage is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. Each one's work will become manifest, will, will be revealed, will settle accounts, will settle up. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, then he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So this is the two scriptures that are paramount to understanding the Bema Seat. But let me break it down uh, just very quickly for you first. Uh, when we talk about the Bema Seat, what I want you to understand is each Christian's salvation is secure. Your salvation is not at stake, not, not at the Bema Seat. That, that is not at stake. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift. There's nothing you can do to earn. It's not by works so that no one can boast. It's a gift from God. He doesn't, he, he doesn't judge his gift that he has given you, the gift of salvation. That is not at stake for believers, okay? But as we talk about this, each Christian must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Each one of us will have to appear. This is not optional. This is a divine subpoena, divine summons. Each one of us will be there, those of you that have placed your trust in Jesus Christ. We will all stand before the Lord. And each Christian will give an account for how they've used his blessings. Same as the parable. It's time to settle up. It's time to settle accounts. What have you done with what I've given you? And each Christian's work will be tested and revealed for its eternal worth. He uses the, the idea of fire. Fire was a purifying or refining thing. Uh, and it refines. It, it, it takes away what is worthless, what shouldn't be there, what doesn't belong. Whatever wasn't done for his sake, whatever wasn't done to extend his business will be burned up. It, it goes away and what's eternal will last and each Christian will be rewarded for participating in God-approved endeavors. And I don't know what exactly those rewards are, but if you take the parable, it means, more, it means you get more rewards, it means you get more responsibility, it means you share in the master's joy. You enjoy relationship with him. That, that's the picture that's here. This is, the, the Bema Seat is for each Christian. And I want you to enjoy that day. I, I want you to, to look forward to that day. That you would hear the same things that these servants heard in Matthew 25, verses 21 and 23. That you would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little. Enter into my joy. Come on in. I know you and you know me. You knew that I wanted you to be about my business and you were. So come on in. Let's fellowship. Because I want you to look forward to that day and to hear those words. In order to live with the end in mind, demonstrate your saving faith through your serving faith. Demonstrate your saving faith through your serving faith. 
See, they believed that the master would return. They had faith that he would return. They had faith that he, this is who he was and this is what he expected. They had faith that they would be rewarded for those things. And so they served him. They were about his business and the same is true for us. We know him and we know what he expects. We know that he wants us to be about his business. In fact, that's why he saved us. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 2, Verse 10, remember I just quoted for you uh, eight and nine. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. It talks about the salvation that's a gift from God, not by works that no one can boast. It's a gift from him, free gift. But then what does it say in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10? You are God's workmanship. I've saved you, I've redeemed you, I, I have shaped you, I've given you these blessings created in Christ Jesus Why? To do good works which he has prepared in advance for you to do. You have been blessed to be a blessing. Same thing as Genesis chapter 12. I am going to bless you. I have remade you in Christ. You are now my workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? Just to be wonderful works? Yes, but also with the purpose so that you can do those works that I've created in advance for you to do. You have been blessed to be a blessing. And there will be a day when that will be evaluated. So we need to demonstrate our saving faith by our serving faith. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your goodness to give us your word that reveals who you are. And Lord, I thank you that you want to work through us by the power of your spirit, and you want us to be about your business. Lord, open our eyes, open our hands, open our hearts, open our wallets, open all of those things because everything we have is from you. And Lord, help us to understand how you want us to invest those things for your sake and for your kingdom to extend your glory. Lord, help us to understand this and to live by faith knowing that one day we will see you face to face. Let us look forward to that day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.